think I'm a fool? I didn't think so. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. I think you just said something. Think, 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 think. We're back. Did you miss us? Based on the um, the multitude of correspondence I've had and questions, the answer is probably no, but... We're back anyway, and again I say we, even though I'm sitting here in front of a microphone by myself, but as you know, it is me and the other voices in my head, but you can tell by the music that we are doing Worldview Foundations, and because I am warped enough to do this, we are going to pick up right where we left off, which means I'm Michael, and I'm here today to tell you that God is God, whether you believe it or not. (sighs) What incarnation is he talking about? Well, If you are new, which I can't imagine why you would be, but if you are, (laughs) if nothing else, I am in one of those moods. But if you are, I would encourage you to go back and read the, uh, read, oh my goodness, that's where my brain's been, to listen to the first seven editions of the Worldview Foundations. You can, you can hunt through and find them, search them out however you like. That'll be good for you, but find those and listen to them first, and then pick your book. Pick whichever book you like best and start there however you want to do. The goal of this series has always been to get you into your Bible and to have your Bible make sense, which means do not get lost in the details. I didn't say the details aren't important. They are vitally important, but don't get lost there. Be able to dive into them in such a way that you do not miss the forest for the trees. And what I mean by that is that you continually have that that thirty thousand foot view, like you know, you're like you're in the airplane flying over. You can see that there's stuff on the ground, but you see the whole picture of what's going on. That's what you always want to keep in mind as you are reading and studying your Bible. If you do that, if you can maintain that mindset of big picture thinking, you will be less apt to fall into heresy. You will be more um, inoculated. There's a good word for 2022. You will be more inoculated against heretical cults and theological nitpicking, which, let's be honest, there are nits that we should pick theologically, but unfortunately, most of the nits we pick, we, we probably shouldn't. With all of that said, we pick up right where we left off in Jeremiah, following the... Uh, Following the history of Calvin here, you have no idea I'm talking about. Calvin was the uh, leader of the church in Geneva, and, well, he was serious about that whole religion, sanctification, purity thing. And the Genevans got kind of, well, they didn't want to do that anymore, so they ran him out. And I think, oh, you'll have to go double-check me on this one, but Calvin was gone for over two years? Might have been three And when they finally realized that they had made a mistake and they wanted him back, they brought Calvin back. And he went back begrudgingly because he was much happier away than he was there. (laughs) Wrap your brain around that one. But he returned. And, you know, first Sunday back in the pulpit, you know, who knows if it was a Sunday or not. He was preaching, I think, six days a week. Might have been seven. But first time back in the pulpit, he literally picked up right where he left off in the middle of a verse, in the middle of a chapter. I think it was in the book of Romans where, like, nothing had happened, two-plus years removed, just picked up where he left off. So that's what we're going to do. We are in the middle of Jeremiah in chapter 46. Now, if you'll remember, Jeremiah is basically telling everybody they're being judged. God is not forgetting anything because he's God, and he is ruling over everything that belongs to him, which is everything. Remember, that's our first foundation. 
that God is the creator. And then the second foundation builds upon that. He is the preserver, meaning all of humanity. All the nations, all the kingdoms are subject to God. So chapter 46. That which came as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the nations. Notice who's left out. No one, because God is God everywhere. I love that who 46 deals with, because that was one of the lessons of the Exodus. One of the lessons of the Exodus is that even though Israel is no longer in the land that God has promised, they are in this powerful pagan nation they are still under the purview and rulership of God. The sovereignty of God extends over even these powerful pagan peoples. Look at that alliteration. I'm a good Baptist today. So, to Egypt, concerning the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which, complete aside, that's unrelated to anything, that is the most un-Egyptian sounding name ever. Like, Pharaoh Necho doesn't sound like an Egyptian. He sounds like some dude from Brooklyn, but like, hey, it's Pharaoh Nico. We're going to take over the land. Right? We're going to go to war with the Babylonians, and we're going to be okay. Give me my bat. Let's go to work. I mean, that's what Pharaoh Nico sounds like, if you're me. But anyway, so he's king of Egypt, which was by the Euphrates River at Carchemish, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. In other words, you're being warned here. If you skip down, this is the message with the, which the Lord spoke to Jeremiah the prophet about the coming of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to smite the land of Egypt. If you remember, Jeremiah's been warning <laughs> uh, Judah that this has been coming for years. Half of Jeremiah's message is God is judging. He's judging through the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar is the guy amongst the Babylonians who he's going to judge through. So, by the way, when you war against Babylon and when you war against Nebuchadnezzar, you're actually warring against God. And considering that God is doing this because you people have been warring against him, you may want to knock it off at some point. I mean, that's, there's a Reader's Digest version of what um, Jeremiah has been proclaiming to them. But what I love here is at the end of this chapter, but as for you, O Jacob, my servant, do not fear, nor be dismayed, O Israel. I love that because Israel's been gone at this point for 140 years, but reminder that we're talking about the people of God. For see, I am going to save you from afar and your descendants from the land of their captivity. Jacob will return and be undisturbed, secure, and no one will make him tremble. O Jacob, my servant, do not fear, declares the Lord, for I am with you, for I will make a full end of all the nations where I have driven you, yet I will not make a full end of you, but I will correct you properly and by no means leave you unpunished. <laughs> you wonder what they're talking about in, in Hebrews where you do not forsake the discipline of the Lord. Kind of the same message here to Judah, to Jacob the servant, isn't it? That God is going to discipline you. He will not leave you unpunished. Why? Because he loves you. And he cares about you. But do, do not fear. He will make an end of the nations that rebel against him. He will not make an end of the nation that repents and trusts in him. And that's who Israel is supposed to be. So you continue. That which came as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh conquered Gaza. So in other words, Pharaoh taking out Gaza to conquer the Philistines is part of God taking out the Philistines. You continue on chapter 8. Concerning Moab... Chapter 49 is where you get rapid fire. Concerning the sons of Ammon, concerning Edom, concerning Damascus, 
concerning Kedar and the kingdoms of Hazor, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated. That which came as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet concerning Elam at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. So time out real quick, because I know we just rapid-fired and we, and we flew through three chapters. But again, who's getting left out in the area in and around Judah? The answer is, the answer is nobody. Why? Or maybe why not? Because God is God, and I am not. And while he is long-suffering, ding, one of our foundations, he is also the accomplisher and the one who will bring all things to fruition. He is the one who will make sure that all of this is done rightly, according to the plan that, wait for it, wait for it, he, not we, has laid out. That's what matters here. So all the nations that have been around the Edomites, the Elamites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, all the nations that spring out. Because remember, um, Moab and Ammon come from the incestuous relationship of Lot and his daughters. Edom are the descendants of Esau. All of these nations that are basically like, you know, cousins and siblings to Israel have been warring against God and warring against God's people. And God will not forget that. The same judgment that he uses to swallow up Judah in his discipline will be what he uses to swallow up these nations in condemnation. He is accomplishing all these things. So, chapter 50 comes along. The word which the Lord spoke concerning Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, through Jeremiah the prophet. Declare and proclaim among the nations. Proclaim it and lift up a standard. Do not conceal it, but say, Babylon has been captured. Bel has been put to shame. Marduk has been shattered. Her images have been put to shame. Her idols have been shattered. Isn't Babylon doing all this work because they're doing this work for God? Yup. Are the Babylonians an idolatrous, wicked people? Yup. Are the Babylonians being used of God? Yup. Is God going to forget their sin? Nope. In other words... He's going to accomplish all these things. All of them. Remember, he is preserving all the nations, but he is preserving them differently. For some, he is Savior. For some, he is Judge. He is accomplishing both, and he's doing it in real time. And what I mean by that is, he's not just you know, it's not like, well, okay, we got to do the salvation work over here and the judgment work over there. This is one of those things we've pointed out as we've gone through the prophets is notice how often it's judgment, 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 salvation. Where'd that come from? It's like a whiplash. We saw this with Isaiah. We've seen the same thing with Jeremiah. It's almost like a whiplash, though, that God is condemning sin and then reminding that he's the deliverer. Like Isaiah points out, seek the Lord while he may be found. You see the same Things when you go to the New Testament, what is Christ warning of? Christ's warning of the coming judgment, the day of the Lord that is to come. But he's offering what? Salvation to those who would trust. What is Paul doing? Why is Paul going out of his way to correct the Corinthian church, to correct the Ephesian church? Well, he's really uplifting them. But why is he uh, to, to um, correct the Galatian church? Why is he doing this? To comfort the Thessalonian church. Because it's salvation in the midst of of judgment. It is the work of God being accomplished all the time in all the places with all the people. He's capable. So in other words, what we're saying is God is capable of chewing gum and walking down the street at the same time. You know, he can pat his head and rub his tummy or rub his tummy or, you know, pat his tummy and rub his head, however you want to do that. He's capable of doing both at the same time. 
He can judge sin. He can bring destruction and chaos and punishment. He can also save. He can also redeem, and he can also call his children home. This is the work that he's always been about. Fast forward in this chapter 50 to verse 17. Israel is a scattered flock. The lions have driven them away. The first one who devoured him was the king of Assyria. And this last one who has broken his bones is Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Remember, the Assyrians take out Samaria, the ten northern tribes of the uh, kingdom of Israel. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am going to punish the king of Babylon and his land, just as I punished the king of Assyria. By the way, the Babylonians were the instrument of justice against the Assyrians. And I will bring Israel back to his pasture, and he will graze on Carmel and Bashan, and his desire will be satisfied in the hill country of Ephraim and Gilead. In those days and at that time, declares the Lord, search will be made for the iniquity of Israel, but there will be none. And for the sins of Judah, but they will not be found, for I will pardon those whom I leave as a remnant. In other words, that promised redemption is not going to be partial. It is going to be complete. This is part of what your Old Testament is doing and why having a big picture is so important. Because if you've been paying attention, and as we went through those kingdom years, you notice that we keep leaving Israel and the people of God to their own devices, and we keep not accomplishing a whole lot of good stuff here. I mean, sure, there's people here and there, there's kings here and there, but the the great and mass peoples turning to God, people trusting in him, they, they're just not there. Enter the prophets, where God will redeem. Isaiah talking about the lion and the lamb lying down together. Well, how does that occur? Well, because the lion's not hungry and worried about eating the lamb because... Sin is gone. The curse has been removed. Jeremiah talking about the new covenant being put upon the hearts. This is the same fulfillment here, that the sin of the people has been horrendous in orders of magnitude beyond what they, what they're supposed, how they're supposed to be walking. And yet, God is still promising redemption because he is still delivering. Remember, this is the key to our, to our foundations, that God is the creator and the sustainer. Therefore, he is Savior and Judge. He is faithful to precisely accomplish down through the ages what he has promised. He will bring it to fruition, and he will bring his people across the finish line. What you've seen thus far in the historical narratives of Israel, so, you know, like Exodus and uh, parts of Numbers and Joshua and Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, what you've seen in those endeavors is humanity is persevering, and God's people are persevering in spite of themselves. The prophets are now here, and remember what our key to understanding the prophets is, to understand the work of God in redemption, which is most clearly seen in the Old Testament in the work of Exodus. The prophets are now hearkening back to the call of God in salvation. What did Israel do to deserve that salvation? Nothing. Deuteronomy 7 points that out. You were a meaningless people. It's God who chose you. God who called you. So at this point, you should be looking at this going, yeah, I want this. I want the pardoning of my iniquity. I want you to have to look for it and not find it. But I can't get there. Well, remember, God will get you there because it is God who is accomplishing these things, not you. It is God who is delivering these things, not you. This is why the work of Jesus becomes so important and what his call is and why it was so misunderstood. Because what Christ is doing in his public ministry is pointing the people 
away from themselves and to God rightly. You don't work your way there. You repent your way there. You don't get better so God will like you. God is pleased with the sacrifice of his servant, Isaiah 53. Therefore, he is pleased in all those who the servant has claimed. I am good because he has made me good. I am changed because he has changed me. That's the distinction, and that's what gets lost going all the way back, because what does sinful humanity want? What it wants. I want to accomplish this stuff. I don't want to just sit here and let you do it. I want to have a stake. I want my pride demands that I accomplish something in this. You can see the seeds of the argument against that here in the work of the prophets, the continual pointing to the accomplishment that God will bring. Move over to 51. Jeremiah continues his screed against Babylon because it is necessary and needed. Right in the middle of that, I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea for all their evil that they have done in Zion before your eyes, declares the Lord. In other words, that Savior and Judge is never going to forget the work that he is doing. And then this chapter ends. The message which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sariah, the son of Neriah, the grandson of Messiah, well, technically it's Maseah, but anyway. Then he went to with Zedekiah, the king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. Now, Sariah was quartermaster. So Jeremiah wrote in a single scroll all the calamity which would come upon Babylon, that is, all these words which have been written concerning Babylon. Then Jeremiah said to Sariah, As soon as you come to Babylon, then see that you read all these words aloud and say, You, O Lord, have promised concerning this place to cut it off so that there will be nothing dwelling in it, whether man or beast, but it will be a perpetual desolation. And as soon as you finish reading this scroll, you will tie a stone to it and throw it into the middle of the Euphrates and say, Just so shall Babylon sink down and not rise again because of the calamity that I am going to bring upon her, and they will become exhausted. Thus are the words of Jeremiah. There's some guts. Jeremiah knows who these people are. Jeremiah knows what they're going to accomplish. And yet, Jeremiah's fear and reverence is for who? God and what he will accomplish. Therefore, you can go stand before this great power, this instrument of judgment of God, and say, you're going to be cast down. Why? Because you're not God. You're not the power. You're not the authority. He is, and you need to recognize that. So we don't fear you because you're not the creator. I don't worry about what you will do because God is my preservation. I don't worry about your judgments because God is my Savior. And he will be faithful to all that he has promised. He will accomplish all that he has declared. He will bring me to a good end and sanctify me in his eternal kingdom. Therefore, I do not fear you. I trust him. I do not worry about you. I worry about sanctification. I do not concern myself with your anger, because the anger of God has been removed from me. And so Jeremiah finishes with a historical note. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Limna. Different Jeremiah. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, like all that Jehoiakim had done. Keep in mind, Jeremiah has been prophesying way before this kid was even born. That's how depraved Judah is, that they're ignoring the prophets. 
For through the anger of the Lord, this came about in Jerusalem and Judah until he cast them out from his presence. Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon, and it came about in the ninth year of his reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, just in case you think this is made up. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all his army against Jerusalem, camped against it and built a siege wall around it. So the city was under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city was broken into, and all the men of war fled and went and went forth from the city at night by way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden. Though the Chaldeans were all around the city, and they went by way of the Arabah, that's the wilderness. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. He didn't get far. And all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath. And he passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And he also slaughtered all the princes of Judah in Riblah. Then he blinded the eyes of Zedekiah. And the king of Babylon bound him with bronze fetters and brought him to the Babylon and put him in prison until the day of his death. Nice. Christian, what does judgment look like? What does the wrath of God poured out against sin look like? Keep that in mind, because it's worse than this. This is what people do. People bring this level of destruction. People bring this level of misery and death. What do you think the just judge of all the earth will do when he judges sin? This is why we care more about what God says than what the world says. These sinners can only do so much, but his grace and his mercy can cover so much sin. And because of that covering, the wrath that is worse than that can be removed. And I can have peace and joy in him who has redeemed me and proclaim his excellencies and his mercies, and his mercies without fear, just as Jeremiah does to the Babylonians. Because he is good, and he is carrying me forth. Now on the tenth day of the fifth month, which was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard who was in the service of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord, that's the temple, the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Even every large house he burned with fire, so that all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down all the walls around Jerusalem. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away into exile some of the poorest of the people, the rest of the people who were left in the city, the deserters, who had deserted to the king of Babylon, and the rest of the artisans. But Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. That's how, Jer that's how Jerusalem will lie until uh, Zerubbabel will return after the judgment against the Babylonians at the hands of the Persians. That's what's going to happen. That's what did happen because God is serious about this. He will make up for the Jubilee years, for the Sabbath years that the Israelites did not take. He will give the land its rest and its restoration. He will remove the temple because it is a house of idolatry. He will remove the walls because it is a source of pride and a source of security to the people so that they will seek for what? security in him. So they will seek for worship towards him and not their idols and not their paganism. God loves his people enough to take away every sin that entangles them. And that's good news because he's accomplishing their sanctification. 
And this is part of the work that Jeremiah is explaining to the exiles. This is why there are prophets during the exile, and they have a message of restoration and salvation and turning from sin, because this is the constant message of God's people, because it's the constant message of God. He is judge. He's also Savior. And all will answer. They will either bow the knee or God will break it. And that's the warning that has been coming from the very beginning. It's the warning that the prophets continue to deliver. It is the warning that needs to be heeded in each and every day and generation. And it is the warning that if we miss it, heaven help us because no one else will. So what have we learned here today, children? God will have a witness. God's witness will stand firm. And God's will will be accomplished, as has always been, as always will be. So. There's Jeremiah. Again, I encourage you, if you have no idea what I just started talking about, to go back and listen to the original things in this that lay out our foundations from Genesis and then kind of move through the rest of this. Hopefully we'll be back on a regular basis now. The vacation break I took in November, which then extended through Thanksgiving, and then Christmas came along, and just, you know, I'm sorry, no offense. I like my family, and I like hanging out with them, so I took the opportunity to do that. But New Year, time to get back to work and get back to the grindstone of things, so should hopefully have some more consistent things coming along as we, as we move through. So enjoy. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.